it's such a, a, a good season for us to be in as a church. Uh, I really believe it's a good season for us to be in as a, as a nation because I think what, it, what we really do is we get back to the core of what's really important in our life. Amen? And I got to thinking about faith. I'm going to talk about faith actually throughout this month, but I uh, got to thinking about faith, and we talk about little faith and great faith and small faith and having no faith and all those different kind of faiths that are out there. But then I, I got to thinking, what is it that moves us in? How do we exercise great faith? What is the what are the ingredients that get us there? Because I hear people all the time say, I wish I had more faith, or I wish I had great faith, or I'd like to see God do and then fill in the blank, whatever that might be in your life. And I really thought about that a lot all week, and I, and I really came up with three things that I believe need to change, unless they're already in place, for you to exercise great faith. Let me give them to you. The first thing is a mindset. If your mind is so focused on what God can't do, God will not do what you want him to do. You have to have a mindset. You have to change everything about the way you look at life in terms of your mindset. So sometimes what people will do is they'll intellectually buy into great faith, meaning, oh, I know God can do that. They'll even move into the emotional level. I really want God to do that. But until you move into that next mindset, volitional, God is going to do that, you don't exercise great faith. So a mindset is really important. Now, if you'll jot these down, these are gonna be important for you. I know you're saying, I'll never forget this. You will forget this in eight seconds. <laughs> Amen? I mean, I just know how it works. The second thing is perspective. Perspective. You have to have a perspective of what God wants to do in your life. Not as for somebody else, no, it's for you. And it's always amazing when God does something. You ever had this response? Wow, I can't believe that God answered my prayer. Have you ever said that? And you're thinking, what did you just say? I can't believe that God answered my prayer. It's almost like in affirming the works of God, you take away from the faith in God of what God can and will do. You see, miracles should be an ongoing, regular occurrence in our life. And we'd all love that, right? Like every day this is a miracle. And I, I suspect that there are miracles happening in your life on a daily basis that you don't recognize. But it's about perspective. It's about how you see what's happening in your world. And the third thing, which is really, I think, even more important than the first two, and that's your view of God. If you think God is about trying to keep you poor and humble, you will never see God do great works in your life. If you think God is angry at you, you're not gonna see God do great things in your life. You have to see God as God projects himself in Scripture, not as the church or your upbringing or what your thoughts are. What does the Bible say about God? The Bible says, and we're gonna look at this verse a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 11, that he is a rewarder he is a rewarder God. Now think about that. That word rewarder, if you look it up in the Greek language, it means one who pays a wage. Isn't that interesting? I hear people say all the time, well, I think, you know, if I donate money, you know, I, I don't really expect anything back. Well, why? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says what you sow, you will. So, you know, I'm going to sow corn, but I'm going to get oranges. Does that make any sense? 
No, it makes no sense at all. You, you see, the law of the harvest is that what I plant is what I reap. Well, I think God will bless me in other ways. He probably will, but that's not what the Scripture teaches. Go back to what the Scripture teaches, get a right view of God, not a wrong view because of your Christian upbringing or your theology. You say, well, you must be one of those prosperity preachers. Well, maybe. I don't know what that means. I just believe what you sow, you reap. So if I sow unkindness, what do I reap? I ain't gonna reap love. Are you with me? All right, have I made my point? Your view of God. So let me go over them again. The first thing that has to change is your mindset, unless you're already there. The second thing is your perspective. And the third one is your view of God. You see, God has to be that God who loves you. Can you imagine a parent? Now, there are parents that are like this, but hopefully nobody in this room or watching on live stream or sitting outside, okay, that, that say, you know, I just want the worst for my children. You know, I can't wait to have another child so I can just, I, can, I, I just pray that they'll be poor and miserable, have a bad marriage, have mean children, ugly children. I mean, you just name it, right? What parent would say that? No parent would say that, right? What do you say? I want my child to be healthy. I want him to be prosperous. I want him to have friends. I want him to have family. You, you go through the, the litany of names, right, of, of, or, or ideas that you want to have. That's what you would say. Do you think God is any different? You see, your view of God is, is God the God who wants the best for his children, or does he just want to keep us miserable and humble and holy? Well, I don't know about you, but my view of God is different, and, I've got, and I base it on the word of God. So here's some things that I want to kind of begin to teach today. The first one is this, don't quit before the miracle. I've seen so many people give up too soon. God had a miracle, but they just said, ah, you know, I don't think God's going to answer my prayer. Well, how long have you been praying? Well, I've been praying at least a week. Well, that's a lot. Think you could give it two? See, what happens is that prayer is, is, is tied, when it's tied to persistence, it brings about what you're looking for. Now, if you're praying incorrectly and outside of the scope or the will of God altogether, prayer has a self-purifying effect. In other words, you can't pray for the wrong thing forever. Holy Spirit will correct you in the process. He'll bring you in alignment with what he wants for your life. So pray with persistence. There's two chapters, just jot this down, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 18, great chapters. Luke chapter 11, it's about the man who needs some bread. He comes to his friend's house at midnight, he knocks on the door, and the guy says, hey, go away, all my kids are asleep, you're gonna wake everybody up. He keeps pounding on the, he, he's just persistent. And finally the guy says, take all the bread that you want. And the answer is, why? Because of his persistence. Luke chapter 18, unrighteous judge, widow goes and says, I need help for my son. He doesn't care about the widow, doesn't care about the son, and he says, but unless this woman is going to wear me out, I'm gonna give her what she wants. But he went on to, remember, in that 18 chapter, and both of them actually, neither one of them cared. I don't care you have a problem with bread and people visiting your house. I don't care that your son is being over. I don't care. And the whole idea is if, if an unrighteous person can give without caring because of persistence, how much more does a righteous God give who cares and loves you? 
Isn't that a great application? Now let's look, Luke chapter five. So it was, as the multitude pressed in about him, that is Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood on the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats standing by the lake. Now isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit just pointed out there were two lakes setting by, or two boats setting by the lake. You know, it's significant because I'm gonna show you how he weaves all this together. Two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So what happened? They had a night of fishing and they were unproductive. You ever had something happen in your business life and your company and you were unproductive and you just washed the nets and were going home discouraged and defeated? You have to listen for the voice of the master. You have to wait for the miracle. Watch what happens. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So he's taking what Simon has now discarded in terms of temporarily because he's not been productive in fishing, and he begins to use it to teach about the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is, is manifest in terms of all that it can teach us about life, about our job, about our family, about the future, about everything. And, and, it, and I want you to see that God always will set you up for a win if you're listening and watching. God wants you to win, not lose. See, that's a view of God, right? God wants you to win, not lose. Instead of going, I just don't think God loves me. Well, he already told you he did. Well, where did he say that? In the Bible. I don't think God really cares about what's going on. No, he does. Well, he doesn't care about the little things. It says he does. You see, the Bible is a great corrector of your bad theology. If you read it more, you'll know what it says. Amen? That's all the thing. The only problem we have is this, what does it say? Well, read it. Here's another thing. God uses the common things to birth the uncommon. It's just a net and a boat, but watch what God can do with it. You look and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is all I have. That's all God needs. I love the story of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa had the idea of an orphanage. Can you imagine? And she went before the superiors. This is before she was ever the Mother Teresa we know of. And she said, I want to start an orphanage, and I want to feed all the children of India. And they laughed at her. They said, Mother Teresa, what, what, are you gonna really, what do you really have in order to get this started? She said, I have two pennies. And they laughed even harder. They said, with two pennies, you can't do anything. And she said, with two pennies and God, you'd be surprised what I can do. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Do you have two pennies? Do you have God? You might be surprised what you can do with two pennies and God. Amen? Amen? Start taking an inventory on the two pennies of your life. There was a man that was born lame. He was, he was laying there by the gate, and when, Jesus, uh, when Peter came by, he said he asked for gold and silver. And, and he said, gold and silver have I none. But what I do have, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he leaped to his feet. He asked for gold and silver because he didn't know he could ask for legs. Are you satisfied with gold and silver when you could get legs? When you could have a total transformation of the whole view of your life, the way you live out your life? Here's another thing. Change the way that you view life. 
well, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, it's a tough time we're living in and the economy and gas is $5 and yeah. And your point is what? God can't supply your needs. God can't work a miracle in your day. When Habakkuk didn't believe God could work, he, God says to Habakkuk the prophet, he said, wonder and be astounded. I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. In other words, Habakkuk, if I told you what I was getting ready to do, you wouldn't believe me anyway. So I'm just gonna leave you in the dark and let you be surprised and you'll have one of those responses like, can you believe what God did? Amen? How, about, how would you like to just start believing God for big stuff? You know, you said, well, I'd like to believe him for little stuff. Why? It's just as much, it takes just as much effort, just as much faith to just go, I'm just gonna believe God for big stuff. I'm gonna believe God is big enough to take care of the situations I'm putting in front of him, amen? All right, Luke chapter five, let's continue the story. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Jesus is not a fisherman, so to speak. But he looks at Simon and he says, Simon, I think it's time you get back in the boat, launch out into the deep, and notice what he promises for a catch. He didn't say go try to fish. Now, I don't like to fish. I have friends that love to fish. They invite me to go fishing all the time. I don't eat fish. I don't want to fish. I don't want to, if you are a fisherman and want to invite me, don't. All right? Now, if you have a nice five-star hotel and want me to lay by the pool with you, I can do that. Amen? But you see, that's not what I want. So Jesus is coming from a perspective of he's telling a seasoned fisherman to go fish, and you're going to get a catch. And look at Simon's response. Simon answered and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. But look how he follows up. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You see, sometimes your faith has to move into the realm of bypassing your reasoning and rationale of what God can do. God, I don't see how this is gonna work, but I'm gonna try it anyway. I don't know what you're up to, God, but I'm going with you. I'm gonna trust God, even in the midst of all the struggles, difficulties, and challenges that I have, I'm gonna see your hand work because what choice do I really have? Do I really just wanna work in my own world and what I get and what, what happens to me? I don't think so. Here's the thing that we found out, that risk, risk is a requirement for faith. If you're gonna get reward, you're gonna have to have faith. You say, well, I don't wanna take a risk. Then you're gonna get what no risk does for you. Nothing. I just wanna play it safe. Well, that's boring. What's more boring than playing it safe in every area of your life, never risking anything, never trusting God for anything? That's the most boring existence I can think of. You gotta live on the edge of excitement to where God has to come through or you look like an idiot. I tell you, I've had many of those moments where I've looked like an idiot. But you know what? It didn't stop me from believing God. I said, I'm gonna press as hard as I can into something and see the hand of God, and if I don't, I'm gonna say, well, I got it wrong. God never does. Because the character of God is not that way. I may have missed what he was up to, but I'm gonna press in. So risk is a requirement of reward, and doubt does not feed faith. You can't feed faith with doubt. I don't really know if God's gonna come through or not. Well, no, he's not, I can tell you already. you You just killed every opportunity to see God work. You know what's really scary is to go, God's gonna do this, and then tell your friends. You know why? Because they're always checking up on you. Have you ever noticed that? 
And then you get annoyed because, you know, the answer hasn't come. You know, then you start dodging him. I, I got to stay away from that guy. I told him that God was going to do something. He's asked me all the time. He's checking in. He, you know, he's checking the tires, the windshield, everything about my life. But when you go public with something, you know what you do? You activate the power of God in your life. That's what you're doing. You're activating God. Instead of going back here and just making it safe and playing it reasonable and see what you're gonna do, no, act, see what God can do. Look at the miracles in the Bible and find me one where there was no risk. Find me one where, there was, where, where everything was going well and that's why they weren't a miracle. Miracles never happen when everything is going well. They happen when you need a miracle, right? When you trust God for a miracle. Doubt does not feed faith. Well, uh, let me just tell you where we are, and we're gonna, uh, we're gonna be talking about this until November 30th, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But until November 30th, I'm gonna be bringing this up and reminding you of what we're doing. So uh, we're gonna show you some, uh, some drone footage of, of a building. Now, the building that we're going to be purchasing, we're actually in escrow on this building. And uh, this is the building right here. It's got the wrong name on it right now, but we're gonna change that. And it was five years ago that we set out to start praying for, these, for this area. My goal is to have all seven of those buildings. That's the goal. Now, I'm gonna, I've reduced it down to six because my buddy owns the first one, so I don't wanna take it away from him. But you see, we need a ministry center. We need to expand our space, and our, uh, next week we're gonna highlight and show you about the kids, and, and we've got kids over here. It's like a gypsy market. We've got so many kids running over there, and we're gonna double their space across the street this way, and then we're gonna buy the building this way, okay? Well, you know, when you start thinking about buying a $6 million building, it, it's not comfortable, right? It's just not, you go like, I, I, you just don't wake up one day and go, I think we'll just buy a $6 million building. But it's faith. It's seeing what God can do. Let me show you a, a picture here of kind of proximity of where we are to that building. So you see there's our worship center and there's the ministry center there. And it's gonna give us opportunity like on a Sunday morning to have membership classes and Bible studies and throughout the week and, and our office will be there and uh, Sean Foyt is gonna be officing there with us it looks like and, and uh, just talked to him this morning from Iraq. He took his whole family on a family vacation to Iraq. <laughs> Who does that? Right? Hey, kids, you want to go to Iraq? And they're all excited. Yeah, why not? What are we going to do in the and activity? We're going to collect, I don't know, ammo. I don't know what's going to go. I don't know what you do in Iraq. So anyway, he was talking to me this morning. He said, and he's got this guitar, and he's playing this guitar. We're going to show you a video next week. Uh, he's playing this guitar, and he said, we're, they got all these bad guitars. All these kids want to learn how to be worshipers, so we're going to buy some guitars. And I said, hey, Influence Church will buy 10 guitars, $300 a piece. We'll buy 10 guitars right now. And so he says, we're going to shoot a video in Iraq of giving these kids guitars uh, so that they can become worshipers in Iraq. Hey, how about that? Amen. I mean, he's taking risks that I'm not like, I don't know, that ain't, my, that ain't me, Sean. I'm over here in the $6 million building risk. I'm gonna let you over here in the rack. <laughs> but God puts all these pieces together for a reason. He puts us all together. All, everybody in this room has, a, has a, so, so much you bring into the kingdom and so much you bring into, your, into this family and to the world and, and to the community you live in. If you just start exercising those things, you know, I like to say, you know, I ask people, Where's the, what's the wealthiest place in the world? And people go, I don't know, maybe it's the oil, maybe it's the diamonds, whatever. No, it's a local cemetery. 
Because that's where dreams went to die. That's where maybe solutions for cancer and other problems were, were there, but they went there with an idea, but they never acted on that idea. You see, there's riches inside of you. You're, you're created in the very image of God to create, to be creative. And when you release that in your life, it's amazing how many people can really be blessed by it. Well, nine years, it'll soon be 10 years next year, uh, we're gonna be in our first decade, and we calling the first decade our pioneers. There were people that just said, yeah, let's go for it, let's see what we can do, and uh, I'm so excited. Uh, many of you are here, you were here today, and you were here in those, that first year. And uh, you know, I, I'm kinda look around here, I see the Wantes right here, and then we got the good ones back here, uh, the Carlsons, Chapmans, D'Angelo's, I mean, if you were here, the Meredith's, uh, just stand up if you were here in that first year or two years of, of our start. Would you just stand up? These are our founders, would you just, McDougal? God bless you. And they were here, and they had a vision. They saw, they sacrificed, they did what they could do, and it is so exciting to, to be able to, to, we're gonna do baptism. Uh, we hadn't planned on a baptism, but Sean, former board member and founding member, said, hey, we're gonna be in town. Could we do a couple of baptisms of our children? And I said, yeah, we'll do that. So if you wanna be baptized today, we have the water ready outside. It's hot. We have shirts, shorts, and towels. The only thing that we can't provide for you is your excuse. <laughs> Amen? But you know, you say, well, why would we be baptized? You're baptized by immersion. See, so we're buried with Christ in baptism. This is what Scripture says. So that by faith we might walk in the of life. And we're raised to walk in newness of life with him. So we're buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. So it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. You say, well, pastor, I was sprinkled as a baby. Does that count? I was sprinkled as a baby too. And I wouldn't have known about it had somebody not told me. But I can promise you this, I wasn't a believer when I was a baby. I was a believer, and when in college, I, I submitted myself to Christ, believed that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's what made me a believer. Amen? Amen. The second decade I'm calling uh, is this decade of builders, and you're now part of that second decade. You might be visiting here. We hope you'll make this your home, but you might be visiting. We want you to be a part of this builders for the next 10 years. And so we've been in a process of, uh, of raising uh, about $600,000. We feel like uh, I'm shopping loans right now. I, I feel like I'm filling out a loan every day with somebody trying to convince them how good I am uh, for the money. But uh, I wanna read to you just a text I got this week, and I'm gonna try to read around it so as I don't uh, give, away all, give away the farm, but this is a family in our church who put their house on the market, and they just said, we're gonna believe God that we're gonna get $50,000 over the selling price, and we're gonna give it to Influence Church. And... Uh, so she went on to say, I asked for 50, but I guess the Lord thought 40 would be enough. And so they're gonna close on their house and they're gonna give Influence Church $40,000 from the sale of their home. You see, that's what builders do. They don't think scarcity. They think in abundant thinking. They don't think about how little can I get away with or can I, let me wait till the last dog dies and then, then that way I can give as little as possible. I say, no, I, I wanna pray about it. See, we believe giving is revelation giving. 
Let the Holy Spirit, let God speak to your heart. The Bible says never under compulsion. You say, well, I, I'm, people say, well, I'm giving till it hurts. Well, quit giving then. Giving should never hurt. It should be the greatest joy of your life. You know why? Because what you sow, you also reap. I'm going to sow a little, you're going to reap a little. I'm going to sow anger, you're going to reap anger. Uh, generosity is just such a wonderful thing. I tell people if you're new here, uh, you're gonna be, if you're new here, you will become a generous person because this is a generous place. We'll, we'll put a, a call out to, to uh, provide scholarships for 30 or 50 kids for camp, and sometimes we'll get it filled within two Sundays. Because people just say, I just want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what God's doing. And I've never had somebody come up to me and say, can I get my money back? I was so discouraged by the fact that a bunch of kids got saved, got close to Jesus, you know, and got excited about the Lord. Nobody's ever said that to me. Amen? All right. So if you, if you want to find out, get some more information, you can text me. This is my mobile number. I'm giving it out to you and the entire world online. You say, that's kind of dangerous. Actually, it's really been fun. I've got to answer theological questions, and nobody's, you know, played jokes on me yet. Uh, I'm sure they're out there. They're ready. But, um, but I just feel like that we're a family. We want to move in this direction of seeing what God can do. Amen? Here's the next thing. Abundance is in the heart of God. This is the view of God. Abundance is in the very heart of God. I get a haircut about every five weeks. You know Why? Because increase is programmed into my life. I understand your ears keep growing until you die. That's why old men have big ears. Have you noticed this? <laughs> why? God pro- why does God program ears to keep growing? It doesn't make any sense. But God has programmed into our universe this idea of, of increase and abundance that God wants to do some great things. Look what it says in Luke chapter 5. Let's finish off the story now, verses 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. When they did what? When they obeyed the Lord. And the net was breaking. Now, can you imagine this scene? They fished all night, got nothing. Jesus said, why don't you go over there and, and launch into the deep? And next thing you know, the net was breaking. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So the, the catch was so great, one boat couldn't hold them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, do you think they're going to remember that day? I think they're probably going to say, you're not going to believe what happened today. I saw the hand of God. I saw what God could do. God didn't fill up one boat. He filled up two boats. And the other thing I love about this is it's also a a teaching about company. Did you notice that Peter owned the boat? Had he not owned the boat, he would have had to share the fish with whoever's boat it was. He's teaching your principle of ownership here, controlling your own destiny. And so he says, and guess what? He brought in his partner. Hey, bring your boat over here. I'm going to share with you. I'm going to see what you can do too. See, God always exceeds our expectations. God always exceeds our expectations. And secondly, other people are blessed when you are blessed. I like to just be around people that are blessed all the time because I know I'm going to get some of the overage. It's going to spill over into my life too. And it's true. 
Do you want to be around a person that's generous and being blessed? Do you want to be around a person that's not generous and mean and stingy? I just like stingy people. We're going to form a whole Bible study with stingy people. We're going to try to complain for the first 15 minutes, right? And then when we get done, we're going to go out and get baptized in vinegar and pickle juice. I mean, you, 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 you see... I mean, nobody wants that in their life, amen? You want to be around people that are excited, ready to go. What's going on in your life? You know, I know some people, I don't even ask them how they're doing anymore. I'm scared. <laughs> how you doing? I, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's great. You know, go see George. <laughs> see, when you, when you allow the joy of God just bubble out of you, you're, it's contagious, amen? It's just contagious, and, it, and, and let me just t- show you this scripture, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, I referred to it at the beginning. But without faith, it is impossible, did you see that word? To please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that, that God exists, the God of the Bible, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, he's a rewarder God. You say, well, maybe when you heard that beginning, you think, I don't know if that's true. You now have a verse. Mark that verse. It says that he is a rewarder. Put that verse back up for us here. All right. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Isn't that amazing? He is a rewarder God. That means he pays the wages to those who invest in the kingdom. Psalm chapter 35, verse 27. Let the Lord be magnified. You ever just said that? Just kind of said, let the Lord be magnified in my life. Who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God goes, you know what? When you seek me, I'm going to reward you. When you, when you glorify me, and when, when you magnify me, guess what I'm going to do? I have pleasure when I see you prosper. I remember the very day when I, I got a job, I'd been out of college, and we'd been working for a while, and I was talking to my dad, and I told him how much I was making a year, and he said, well, you now are making more than I've ever made. And he said, I'm proud of you, son. He didn't say, I, I got to go out and, do, and catch up and pass you up here. He said, no, I'm proud of you. Why? Because God loves his children to prosper. He loves them to be healthy. He loves them to have friends. He loves them to laugh. Experience life. He has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. You know, those two verses are, are promise verses. You can pray those. You ever prayed scripture? Here's how you do it. God, I just pray that you would be magnified in my life and everything I do, that you would be honored because, God, I know that you take pleasure in the prosperity of me, your servant. And God, I want to be your servant. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to love you with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. That's how you take a scripture and turn it into a prayer. Isn't that good? And when you pray scripture, you know you're praying good theology. Amen? Hey, I just prayed the word of God. How, how can I get it wrong? Amen?